A real delight to speak to, and I guess uh, on a very serious and sometimes uncomfortable conversation, right, which paints a very clear reality uh, of how wealth is not equally distributed uh, in the world, but also in our country. Give us some context with regard to the study uh, that highlights these concerns. Thank you very much. Um, So uh, I think it's important for some years now, Oxfam has been pointing out um, to the rest of the world that we're actually pushing ourselves to full exchange, where a tiny fraction of the world's population have basically amassed the wealth of the 99% of the rest of it. Got you. Kwesi, just for a moment, we want to ensure that we're able to hear you clearly. So I'm going to ask if you could move slightly closer to the microphone or your device to make sure that we um, are able to um, hear you as clearly and loudly as we can, sir. Happy for you to pick up where you Uh, left off. Sure. Is it any better? Yep, I I, I believe so. Happy for you to continue? Yes, so so I was pointing out that for some years now, Oxfam has been pointing out to the... uh, the scale and the threat of extreme inequality around the world. Uh, and as you pointed out in your introduction, extreme inequality, extreme poverty is actually a, gl- a global problem. But it does have a particular take when you come down to Africa. And I think I will speak to that. And so as you rightly also pointed out, um, just five of the world's richest population essentially have had their wealth double at the expense of more than half of the rest of the world's population. And as we speak, close to 5 billion of the world's 8.1 billion uh, population actually have seen, have become poorer um, since COVID struck in 2020. At the same time, the same period is when we've seen the wealth of the top five richest men in the world gone up. And you see, it's linked also to the corporations because from our data, if you look at the top 10 major corporations in the world, seven of them are run by billionaires or their major shareholders. And so there's a connection between uh, companies, corporations, and then also the growing levels of inequality, as we see. I mean, we, we can explore the type and the role that corporations play in terms of the, the the frightening levels of inequality that we're talking about in this report. And I think you're raising such a valid point, right? Because corporates play a role. Um, uh, Of course, it's the economies that they also operate in. But I'm assuming that a lot of this has to deal with, you know, why it is that we're not seeing an improved investment or prioritization of the distribution of this wealth. And some might say, well, that's not easy to do when you live in a world that is driven by capitalism. So uh, share your your, your thoughts and your response to, to, to the statements that actually speak to this narrative. Well, so we didn't just get here um, overnight. I think there are reasons for why we've gotten here. And, and, and I think that's what the report seeks to ex- explore uh, and to point out to governments that the explosion of inequality is not divinely ordained. It's actually driven by human beings. And therefore, governments are not powerless in addressing the crisis. And that's exactly why we want governments to actually pay attention to addressing the inequality. So in the report, we point out at least four major ways that corporations fuel um, inequality. And mind you also, corporations and billionaires are basically two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as I said, uh, they basically are the ones who run these corporations. 
one of the ways that corporations actually fuel inequality is that they basically reward the rich, the shareholders, and depress uh, you know the income of workers. So they use the power to force down wages. And as we speak, inflation around the world uh, has basically outstripped real income of, of the world's population. And yet, as we speak, in the midst of the wealth of the of the world's richest, we've seen that just the five the five richest men having seen their wealth explode in you know just double, the wealth of 5.1 billion of the world's population actually has declined. What it means, therefore, is that we are not just simply talking about numbers. It means that people are having to go to bed without a meal. People are having to pay catastrophic out-of-pocket fees to access basic healthcare. You're not talking of complicated healthcare. People are having to die because they can't just simply access basic healthcare. And many of these have been privatized and run by corporations whose major motive essentially is to profit. And we think that governments can actually correct the situation, such that the, the majority of the world's population benefit from the wealth of corporations, yeah. and not just simply the tiny and Kwesi, I'm keen to understand how, how it is that you view governments playing a role here because some might come forward and say, well, hold on, these multimillionaires and essentially wealthy individuals pay their taxes, contribute to some form of growth, um, and how governments actually use that and distribute that income is, again, up to governments. But how do you view government playing a role uh, in, in, again, uh, I guess, alleviating and addressing the challenges of inequality at this level? Thank you very much. I think your 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 question assumes that companies pay their fair share of taxes. Um, the report points out that that is never true. And companies are underpaying. So one of the major ways corporations, are not, and I'll respond to your question directly briefly, but I just wanted to provide a context. Mm-hmm. Tax dodging is a major problem um, around the world, particularly in terms of the role that corporations play. Uh, in fact, Looking at the numbers, we've seen an effective tax rate of companies uh, decline over the last decade. What it actually means is that companies are actually paid far less than they were paying a decade ago. Uh, so, and and we also know that companies exploit uh, the international financial architecture to basically shift their profits from the jurisdictions or the countries where they actually make the wealth mm. to secrecy jurisdictions where basically they don't have to pay any taxes. Um, this is what governments can do. One is that government can actually close the tax loophole. And as we speak, the Africa group at the, uh, at the United Nations actually tabled um, a motion just last year uh, to which the, uh, the General Assembly acceded to, to for us to establish a global forum, a convention, which would allow us to actually negotiate the current global financial architecture, which has actually been monopolized by a tiny few of the world's population, where most of these billionaires uh, and corporations are actually based, essentially, I'm talking of the global north. And so the point is that governments, our governments can play a role. And I think that African governments have shown the world away by saying that, look, let's have a global tax body that is at the United Nations, where each country can have a say. And, and contribute to defining the 
the international financial architecture because as it is, it actually deprives particularly poorer nations in the global south the opportunity to optimize their tax revenue so as to be able to provide the basic services that their citizens so badly need. But one other way of also um, states can actually play a role is that increasingly because of their wealth, corporations and their shareholders actually commodifying and segregating uh, segregating access to vital services such as education, water, sanitation, healthcare, and the like. Mm. And so one of the solutions proposing to governments is that they must take another look at the monopoly of companies. And that actually it's been demonstrated around the world where, for example, workers play a role in the management of corporations. The wealth is better distributed. Um, and, and, and so there are ways that governments can actually play. Mind you also that because of the a structural adjustment with respect to Africa in particular, because of the structural adjustment policies of the 80s and 90s, our governments were forced out away from, you know, basically running companies mm -hmm. and were basically asked to simply create conducive atmosphere for businesses to flourish. That is great. But what it has done is that our governments have lost sight of their responsibility and, and the social contract they have with citizens. And we're saying that, look, citizens have a critical role and that the people who create the wealth are not the shareholders, they're actually the workers. And as we speak, inflation has wiped up the, the, the wealth of workers around the world. Uh, and, and so there are ways that governments can actually contribute to addressing the problem. We think that government should take the lead. 100%. Kwesi, you raised such a valid point in terms of the workforce also creating that wealth, right? Uh, but yet not reaping the benefits of, of it. This is where I'm, I'm also intrigued by global policies and themes such as um, ESG, Environment, Social and Governance. And it almost seems as though there's been a heavy weighting towards the E and not so much the S. Help us understand from a global point of view, are we seeing corporates also play a significant role uh, in prioritizing the investment and their focus uh, on social investment? So, I, I, I would say something positive, but before then, let me just simply point out that one of also the ways that corporations are actually driving inequality really is they are contributing to climate breakdown, um, a link to the ESG. So, if you look at the billionaires and the, when the major corporations, they contribute hugely to climate uh, you know, basically climate change uh, through their processes and and, 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 and the way they reshape uh, their investments around the world. So one of the ways that I think we need to and, uh, analyze this um, question that you, you just asked is that companies do and can play a role, but the primary responsibility lies with governments for two reasons. One is that you don't vote for companies as a citizen of South Africa. You vote for the government of South Africa. So it is the government's responsibility to take the lead and not sublet its primary, its core responsibilities to companies yes. or to corporations to deliver. And that is really 
I think where the governance element comes in, that governments must not just simply create a conducive atmosphere for companies to thrive and make a profit, which is their primary motive, but it must take responsibility to ensure that the investments benefit the majority of citizens mm-hmm. and that it also ensures that it does not destroy uh, the future of the generations um, yet to come. And I think that if we manage to do this, we would bring back in the governance, at, at least democratic governance, into the ESG framework and, and its application as we speak at the moment. And so these are some of the ways that we think um, we can address the issues. But I wanted to come back one last time to your issue of um, of labor. Yes. I mean, I was pointing out earlier that we've seen actually the real income of workers decline at the same time that we've seen the wealth of the billionaires grow up. And just to give you one shocking statistic, for every dollar, every hundred dollars that is made by a corporation in the world today, close to 82% goes to the shareholders the rich shareholders, only 18% is left for workers' wages and all the other services they have to pay for. So essentially, what it means is that millions of workers are slaving away uh, for virtually nothing. And we think that it is not fair because also it is quite clear that in societies around the world where there is a level of equality. And you can look at the Nordic countries. These countries tend to be less violent. They tend to be happier. People tend to live longer. And so there are incentives for us to bridge and to actually care the growing levels of inequality. And companies do have a role, but we think that at the moment, they're actually contributing to the crisis of inequality and, mm. and the growing levels of poverty sure. right around the world. Um, maybe we want to have a look at just the numbers in the case of um, Nigeria, which is Africa's biggest sure. um, in terms of population. Sure. Aliko Dangote controls nearly con- uh, has near monopoly over the, um, the production and distribution of cement in the country. Now he has one of the largest um, profit margins at least last year and close to 45%, one of the largest by corporations anywhere in the world. The question is, how much of that is really contributing to addressing inequality in that country? Hmm. At least 10 million Nigerian children are out of school as we speak. They can't just simply afford or don't have the facilities to get basic education. My goodness. Well, this raises significant questions, Kwesi. You know, even um, the formidable leaders that we admire in terms of their business prowess, their mindset, their accolades and accomplishments. But we do need to interrogate again how all all of us as various stakeholders can prioritize the fundamental investment in human capital, in the growth and the prioritization of uh, fellow man in this economy to ensure that we uh, um, might not reach a level of equality fully, but of course enhance the livelihoods of those that we work with and who form part of the labor force. Kwesi, a real pleasure speaking to you, sir. Truly appreciate your time. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.